Well, aren't you feeling blessed this morning? It is so wonderful to be a part of, of this as a church family, to hear the testimonies, and uh, you did such, a, such an amazing job, um, all of you, in sharing your testimony from the heart. So thank you for doing that. We all are, are blessed for it. And uh, we want to continue to hear from God's word this morning, and so I would invite you to bow with me once more. Father in heaven, thank you for the richness of your word, that by it we have life, we have your words of life, and by your spirit, it's not just something that happened and spoke long ago, but that it's living and active for us today. And so I pray, Lord, speak through your words, speak through me, your servant. May the words be yours, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you may have heard the story from many years ago of a Baptist preacher in Georgia named Anonymous McBride. And yes, Anonymous was his real name, and just as an aside, wouldn't that be a great name for reporting people to the police with? Who's calling? Anonymous. But I digress. Now, Anonymous McBride was an old-school Southern Baptist preacher who was a fiery sort of preacher, and one of the things that he loved to emphasize was that baptism by sprinkling or pouring was not sufficient. And so he persuaded many people that unless they were baptized by full immersion, going underneath the water, they were lost souls. And so the result was that on many Sunday afternoons, people who believed his message and thought fearfully perhaps their their baptism by pouring was not sufficient, they would go down Sunday afternoon to the Chattahoochee River where he would rebaptize them. And so this went on for quite some time until he met a Methodist lady named Raynell Roberts. Now, after persuading her that she too needed to be rebaptized, he scheduled her for baptism by immersion the following Sunday afternoon. However, Raynell's desire for rebaptism was exceeded only by her deathly fear of water. And so she happened to have a son who had joined the Navy, and he had come home bringing back one of those Navy life jackets with him. And so this gave her an idea. She took all of the flotation material out of that life jacket, and she sewed it on the inside lining of her dress. Then came the baptism service that no one ever forgot. Raynell was led down into the waters of the Chattahoochee River by Anonymous, and after speaking the words of baptism, he tipped Raynell back. But to his shock, he couldn't get her under the water. And the people gathered along the bank gasped, and then tried not to laugh as a great struggle ensued. There was Anonymous, doggedly trying to pull her under the water. Remember, a complete submersion, nothing else would do. And there was Raynell thrashing wildly, trying to keep her face above the water. Now, it so happened the current was quite swift at that time of year, and so in the midst of this tremendous baptism struggle, she broke loose from his grasp, and off she floated down the river. Not knowing what else to do, as if on cue, the choir assembled along the river banks began to sing in the sweet by and by, <laughs> as Raynell disappeared around the river's bend. Now, as the story goes, Anonymous McBride never again attempted to rebaptize someone. Now, thankfully, this morning, Angela and Jamie didn't try wearing life jackets under their clothing. So thank you for that, or we might still be in there. But as this humorous story demonstrates, 
there is often confusion surrounding the act of Christian baptism. Now, all Christians will agree that it is important, but there is debate on almost everything else. And so today I want to help clear up some of that confusion surrounding baptism and show you the tremendous purpose and power of baptism into Christ. So turn with me, if you will, this morning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1. There we read this introduction. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea. And so here we are introduced to a rugged wilderness man named John the Baptist, who is preaching in the desert and baptizing people in the Jordan River. Now, uh, we have a couple of slides here, if they're able to pull them up. In slide number two there, I have a picture that I took of the Jordan River while we were visiting there in Israel. And this location is taken just a couple of kilometers south of the Sea of Galilee. And so there the water is quite fresh and clear and lovely. And so it's in this beautiful setting that most people will choose to be baptized if they want to go to Israel to be baptized in the Jordan River. Now in the next slide you'll see our group leader, his name was James Hunt, and he's baptizing a number of people uh, from our group in the Jordan River in that location. And I believe those railing back there are period from the time of Christ. So, um, no, those have been put in there later on, in case you were wondering. We have a few safety protocols now that we didn't have back then. But uh, there's a great visual for you of what John the Baptist would have actively been doing when he was preaching and then baptizing people there in the Jordan River. Now, as we look back to our text in verse 4, as we saw in the video, John is a bit of a wild man. He's described as wearing clothing made of camel's hair and living on a diet of locusts, like grasshoppers, and wild honey. And so I like that he was probably dipping those locusts in the wild honey, you know, for a little bit of flavor, along with the crunch. And so John the Baptist appears, seemingly out of nowhere, preaching a simple message, a very simple message, and yet it was a profound and fiery message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And though he's way out on the edge of the wilderness, along the banks of the Jordan River, incredibly, verses 5 to 6 tells us, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all over Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So here we see there was something tremendously powerful and compelling about what John was preaching and doing that would cause people to journey many days. Remember, there's no, there's no highways, there's no roads that, that, they're, that they're zipping down. Most people are traveling on foot. Jerusalem would have been over a day's journey to get to where John was located. And so people are hearing about him and saying, I want to go see, I want to go hear for myself. And people are flocking to him and Countless thousands are baptized. And so it begs the question, what was the purpose of baptism? Why were people doing it? What was its purpose? Well, we just read it. It's straightforward. We all know it. But we read it again in the verse, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the River Jordan. And so here we see something that's simple to us and yet so profound. We must repeat it and remind ourselves of it. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. 
The physical act is a visual demonstration of the inner spiritual cleansing from sin that Jesus has already done on the inside. He's done it in the inside of one's heart, soul, and mind when they confess their sins, repent of it, and place their faith in Jesus. However, baptism, apart from confession of sins, apart from true confession, it means nothing. It's nothing more than just taking a bath on a Saturday night. And unfortunately, the Jewish religious leaders, they miss this entirely. We go back to our text in Matthew 3 and read in verses 7 to 8. But when he, being John the Baptist, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So, in other words, John was telling them that without true repentance, they could still be baptized and squeaky clean on the outside, but still a viper on the inside. Still just as filthy and full of venom and sin, and therefore still fully deserving of God's coming wrath. Now, in calling them a brood of vipers, John's not exactly using our modern evangelism tools of being winsome or gracious, is he? Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? How's that for a sales pitch? I dare you to try that with someone on the street. Now, they may, yeah, well, I dare you. Come back to me if you actually did it, okay? (laughs) But it makes me think, wouldn't John be happy to see these religious types coming to be baptized? Because remember, he's this rogue, wild prophet type out in the wilderness. You know, maybe it started really backwater type of people, but it's got to the point where he has notoriety, he has fame, that even the religious leaders from Jerusalem leave the glorious temple to say, who's this guy out on the edge of the wilderness? This wild man, we need to go see for ourselves. You would think John would be pleased about this. But John knew in seeing them that all of the dunking in the world wouldn't get their hearts clean if they didn't first repent of their deadly twin sins of spiritual pride and hypocrisy. And so too at our baptism, God is not looking at our physical bodies. He is looking at our spiritual hearts. And as crazy as this sounds... There are people who have been baptized, but not saved. And people who are saved, but not yet baptized. And John's message was simple for a reason. Repent and be baptized. It has to happen in that order. For without true repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ, baptism means nothing. And this is why in the Anabaptist heritage of which the Mennonite church is a part, this is why we emphasize so strongly adult believers' baptism. For to have someone baptized as an infant, how can that individual repent of their sin and turn to Jesus in faith? This must be a clear decision, a personal decision that each one makes for themselves. And so therefore, we don't believe that the act of baptizing a child will save their soul, No, this must be done when they repent of their sins and place faith in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, baptism 
means nothing. It must be a personal choice. And so the most important question you need to ask yourself is this. Have I truly repented of my sins? Have I put my faith completely in the Lord Jesus to save me and him alone? And if the answer to that question is yes, if so, then you are ready for baptism in the most rich sense of the word and the action. But now it begs the other question. If baptism isn't necessary for salvation, then why bother? Why bother going through with it? Well, there's a number of reasons, and the first reason is this. If we want to be obedient to Jesus, then we simply need to be baptized. The words of Christ from Mark chapter 16, verses 15 to 16, are very clear. Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And so, more, we look at Jesus' example. He himself was baptized. His disciples, we know, were baptized. And likewise, he told his disciples to go out and to baptize. Anyone else who wanted to become his disciple would be baptized. The Great Commission is also very clear on this. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, though we receive salvation by repenting of our sin and believing in Jesus alone, baptism is always the next step. Now, I recall in my mid-teens thinking that since I was already a Christian, I knew that I'd put my faith in Christ, and, and thinking that, and thinking that maybe I could avoid the unpleasantness of having to come up and share my testimony and get wet in front of everyone, I, I just kind of thought, maybe I could skip that. It's not a big deal. But I recall hearing someone say, if you profess that you are a follower of Jesus, and then his very first command to you is, be baptized, but you refuse, what are you saying to him? Because in effect, what your actions are saying to Jesus is, I want you to save me, but I don't want to obey you. And needless to say, that convicted me. It convicted me deeply, and it made me realize that getting baptized is first and foremost a matter of obedience to my Savior. Jesus said, believe and be baptized. So why would I do only the first part, but not the second? And so quite simply, we look throughout Scripture, and the Bible does not envision a fully committed follower of Jesus who is not baptized. In almost every instance in Scripture, any adult who came to saving faith in Jesus Christ was baptized shortly thereafter. And so baptism is a matter of obedience. And so to everyone here today, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you if, that, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ to save your soul, you've confessed your sins to him, you've made him your savior, let me encourage you to not put off baptism as something that is optional or something that, you know, I'll put off indefinitely when I get around to it. Look at it instead as a matter of obedience to Jesus, that he said, believe and be baptized. And so if we want to follow him in obedience in other areas of our lives, how do we begin to do that if we won't obey in the first thing of first importance that he said, believe and be baptized? And so it's a matter of obedience. Secondly, 
We must look at baptism as the starting line, not the finish line. Baptism too frequently carries the connotation of having arrived. You know, that the moment we get baptized, we somehow become super Christians. Right, Jamie and Angela? Right? Super Christians now? (laughs) All right, no. They've started. They've begun the journey. You see, people often say, and, and I've heard it before, that I want to get baptized once I get my life in order. And that's kind of what I thought as a teenager as well. And of course, we want to get our life in order. We want to be right with the Lord. We want to be serious about this commitment. But if we're going to wait until we've reached some spiritual perfection, some, some perfect place of where I've now got everything in order in my relationship and walk with the Lord, if that's what we're waiting on, none of us would ever get baptized. I certainly never would have. You see, none of us will ever have our lives sufficiently in order to be baptized. Baptism, it's not something we earn, nor is it a sign that we declare to the world that, look at me, I'm perfect and I have everything together now. No, nothing could be further from the truth. Baptism is a beginning, not an ending. It's a declaration that Jesus is my Savior and Lord He is the one who has saved me from my sin. And from this day forward, I'm committed to following him. And yes, when I fail, when I fall flat, I will again confess my sin. I will get back up. I will keep following. And so today, Angela and Jamie, as you begin your race today, remember that Jesus runs alongside you. He is with you every step of the way. And so stick with him, and when those rough patches will come again, when times where you trip up and fall, remember, he is still right there with you. Confess your sin, let him pick you back up, and keep running, because only Jesus can see you safely through to the finish line. And so remember, today is a starting, not an ending. You run with Jesus, and Jesus will see you through. Thirdly, baptism declares the mighty power of God. It declares the mighty power of God to destroy the power of sin, all of the effects of sin, including the condemnation and the guilt of sin. And it declares the tremendous power of God to give us a new life. Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. One of my favorite passages. It says this, Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We therefore were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That, my friends, is good news. That is great news because I want to live a new life. And try as I might, apart from Christ, it doesn't work. We spin our tires, and we fall flat, and we can't make any progress. But with Christ, there is a new life. There is a way. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can make progress. It doesn't mean that we're perfect all the time, but there's, there's traction to move ahead. Because the power of the Holy Spirit is at work within us, enabling us to live that new life that Christ died to purchase for us. And so, the amazing part is, in committing ourselves to Christ in baptism, to say, your death is is my death, 
And your resurrection is my resurrection. We are by faith laying hold of that promise of a new life. And we're saying, Jesus, I am all in with you. All of my hope is in you. Only you can give me a new life. There's a famous story of Ivan the Great, who was the Tsar of all of Russia during the 15th century. And at one point in his reign, it was brought to his attention that he needed to find himself a wife in order to produce an heir. He had been so busy with his conquests that he hadn't even bothered to take a queen. And so his advisors searched the capitals of Europe to find an appropriate wife for the great Tsar. Word finally came back to Ivan of the beautiful dark-eyed daughter of the king of Greece. She was young, brilliant, and charming. And he agreed to marry her sight unseen. And so the king of Greece was delighted, for it would align Greece in a favorable way with the emerging giant of the north. But there had to be one condition. He cannot marry my daughter unless he becomes a member of the Greek Orthodox Church. Ivan's response, simple, I'll do it. So a priest was dispatched to Moscow to instruct Ivan in Orthodox doctrine. Ivan was a quick student, and he learned the catechism in record time. Arrangements were concluded, and the Tsar made his way down to Athens, accompanied by 500 of his crack troops, his personal palace guard. The day of the baptism came, and what a sight that must have been. 500 priests and 500 soldiers, a thousand people walking down into the blue Mediterranean. The priests were dressed in black robes and tall black hats. The soldiers wore their battle uniforms, their dress uh, uniforms with all of their regalia and their weapons of battle included. But suddenly there was a problem. The church prohibited professional soldiers from becoming members. They would have to give up their commitment to bloodshed. They could not be killers and church members too. So after a hasty round of diplomacy, the problem was solved quite simply. As the words were spoken and the priests began to baptize them, each soldier reached to his side and withdrew his sword. And lifting it high overhead, every soldier was totally immersed, everything except his fighting arm and sword. Hence, the unbaptized arm. The unbaptized arm. What a powerfully convicting message for the church today. For Christianity today, as we look around our world, as we look around our own culture, how many unbaptized arms are there present today? How many unbaptized talents, unbaptized checkbooks, unbaptized smartphones, unbaptized schedules? You see, baptism is an all or nothing proposition. Either the power of Jesus' death and resurrection has destroyed all of the power of sin all of its consequences, or none of it. There's an old saying that there's no such thing as being a little bit pregnant. The same is true. There's no such thing as being a little bit baptized. There's no such thing as most of you going to heaven and only your arm goes to hell. It doesn't work that way. You see, we can't give only a part of ourselves to Jesus and keep the rest for ourselves. He asks for absolutely everything that we are and have. But he won't take it from us by force. Jesus simply says, I loved you so much 
that I willingly gave my whole life for you. Jesus held nothing back on the cross. Nothing. He gave it all. Willingly. And so then he asks, won't you willingly give your whole life to me in return? Everything. The arm, the phone, the checkbook, the house, the job, your abilities, your strength. I want it all. Will you give it all to me? And that, my friends, is the power of baptism. It is the personal declaration to Christ, to us and to the world, and even to the entire angelic realm, that yes, Jesus, I give myself completely to you. Completely. I hold nothing back, all that I am, have, and ever will be. It's yours. And then, by the mighty work of the Holy Spirit, we may live that new life, a better life, a life of freedom, of purpose, and of love. And so the first part of the baptisms that we witnessed here today, as Angela and Jamie went under the water, it declared that Angela and Jamie are dead. Dead to sin and self. All of that died with Jesus on the cross. All of that was buried with him in the waters of baptism. But the second part, the most important part, is that as you came up out of the water, it powerfully declared to all of us present here today, the world and the spiritual realm, Angela is alive. Jamie is alive. Alive in Christ. Alive through Christ. And alive for Christ. For his glory. For your blessing. For today. For the days to come. And for all of eternity. As Jesus walks with you, today, tomorrow, to the finish line, and into the eternal kingdom beyond. And what a privilege we have as a church family to walk with Jesus on that journey together. Amen. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we give you all glory, honor, and praise for what you did on the cross of Calvary. What you did taking sin upon your shoulders, my sin debt, the sin debt of Angela Jamie, everyone here this morning who has confessed personal faith in you, confessed their sins. You have taken that upon your shoulders. You have paid it in full. It is gone the moment we place faith in you. Thank you, Jesus, that in going into the grave and coming back to new life by the glorious power of the Father, we thank you that by that power, we too may live a new life. One that is free from fear, free from doubt, free from anxiety of what eternity will hold and replaced with purpose, placed with tremendous hope of what eternity will hold, joy and anticipation of life eternal and abundant spent with you. And thank you that it is that hope by your Holy Spirit in our hearts this morning that also gives us assurance that between now and that day you will walk with us every step of the way. And that as Jamie and Angela have been baptized this morning, this is a beginning and we pray your blessing to walk with them every single day of their lives as they continue to follow with you, after you, and bless them, Lord. We also pray that you will bless Colby and Nicole. We pray that you will bless Naomi and Maddie as they have joined this membership. Thank you so much for already their, their blessing and service here in this church family. We pray that you will continue to bless and equip them, Lord, 
as they serve, as they worship here, may they also be encouraged and built up from this fellowship in return. And thank you, Lord, that you are building your church, that we get to be a part of it. And so we bless your name, Jesus. We thank you that we have the privilege of being your children and that you invite us to believe and to be baptized in your name. And you do the rest. Thank you, Lord. Amen.